Good morning, everybody. So this morning, everyone has heard a, a, a lot of announcements, right? There's stuff going on that's very um, kind of spiritually focused. There are things going on that are very uh, physically focused, logistics, finances, all of that. And it's just, I think, kind of sets at least one of the themes that might come out from today's lesson, and that is living as a Christian. Living this, the Christian life, as, as we try to do, it does not happen all by itself in a vacuum, right? We don't just get to live out, you know, everything in the Bible and try to just be really good in isolation. There are a few people who try to do that, you know. There's the monasteries and the, the monks who want to sequester themselves and just devote themselves to nothing but the spiritual side of life. But that's, that's not really the picture that we get in Scripture, is it? Um, uh, anytime we're directed to, to go off for a little while and, and collect ourselves, it's, it's not for the purpose of staying there. It's for the purpose of getting back in the game and, and living the Christian life. And I th- one of the things that, that struck me is we were going through all the announcements, I was thinking about the lesson, is that you know, the, the account that we're going to hear today is, is you know, some kind of interesting and miraculous things that happen, but it was in the, just in the course of Paul just trying to do what he was trying to do. You know, he had a, he had a message that he was trying to get out. He had a, some people he was trying to reach, and all these little things kept popping up, and you could argue whether they're getting in the way or whether they're opening doors. Um, I, I guess maybe some of each, but but it was all just happening in the course of things. And, you know, I think sometimes when we read accounts of Scripture like this, we we kind of just idealize and spiritualize everything. And if it feels like sometimes the Bible isn't like our real life, it's probably because we're reading too much religion into the Bible. The Bible is very much where we are. And if if, if we try to read those passages as if we were there, I think it, it might make a whole lot of sense. I tell people at the office, you know, I, that there are, um, you know, we're not just physical people. We're not just emotional people. You know, we're not just spiritual people. You can't carve up somebody and, and, and just focus on one thing. We're, we're all of those, all at the same time. And I think we'll kind of see that as we as we go through. So, um, where we left off, as best I can tell, was in uh, the 16th chapter of Acts, and we had uh, gone through the first uh, 15 verses. Our, our last account was when uh, Paul and his uh, entourage, which of course now includes uh, our our historian Luke, and. Uh, they, they get to the city and they start searching out some uh, believers. They find um, Lydia and, and her acquaintances there by uh, the riverside uh, praying. And uh, they, they meet her and it says in uh, verse 14, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And isn't that really what it is as that early part of the salvation experience for each of us, the Lord opens our heart 
to hear things, very often things that we have heard many times before, but the Holy Spirit just opens our heart to really hear it, and, and the Holy Spirit makes application to us on that particular day. And she became a believer. And at verse 15, it says, And after she was baptized, and her whole household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Um, recognizing, you know, she was a businesswoman, recognizing the need to, uh, you know, this is something new. You know, she probably knew something about growing a business. She probably knew a little bit about marketing and word of mouth and, Whatever the version of social media was back then, she she knew that that Luke and Paul and those guys were going to need uh, some sort of a basis from which to launch their their campaign. And and um, uh, I don't know if they were staying in an inn or or maybe just a, a tent. Uh, that uh, they said, you know, you, you need to have a better a better um, foundation here. So so come stay with us. I've got room. And uh, she wanted to see the work go forward. And that brings us to verse 16, where we'll pick up our story. Dad mentioned last time about uh, Luke's going to start to use uh, some pronouns, um, us, and in this case, we. So in verse 16, we have, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. This is a, a pretty straightforward verse. Um, I can't add much to the actual words that are there because it's so succinct and so uh, straightforward as, as Luke often is. But there is some background that is interesting, and those of you that kind of like to chase a few rabbits, this is a good place to do that. In the, in the text, this uh, phrase that says, the spirit of divination, uh, refers to the spirit of python. Now, when, when I hear the word python, you know, we think of a snake, Dad's favorite topic. Um, uh, we, python, and, and this goes off into Greek mythology, and apparently python was this mythical snake, and it was um, based in um, uh, the uh, Greek city of, of um, Delphi. Apparently in Greek mythology, Apollo killed Python and um, uh, kind of took over uh, that city for himself and established a temple and so forth. And apparently this serpent... God, whatever, had the spirit of prophecy. And after, again, in Greek mythology, Apollo um, slayed the, the serpent Python uh, and established their own temple in Delphi, there was a priestess there who was called uh, the Pythia and apparently uh, was known for making pronouncements that they called oracles. So these uh, prophetic announcements um, from the, you may have heard the phrase, the Oracle of Delphi. And apparently, at, there was, you know, of course, temples to various gods all over the, the, um, uh, the Greek footprint there uh, that was still in place by the time the Romans came around. And uh, this, uh, the, these oracles were, were thought to have um, special importance. 
And interestingly, many of these oracles had to do with the foundation of new religions. And so when you have this slave girl with a, in the, in the Greek text, it says spirit of Python, spirit of Pythia, translated spirit of divination. When you have this slave girl making this pronouncement, and apparently there, there had been a certain reliability to her pronouncements in the past, so much so that her owners could, could charge for her services and make money on her services, when she starts saying, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation, it was probably, you know, some people took note of that. Uh, it probably gave it some weight and some, some credence uh, because not only was she apparently some reliability, I'm making some assumptions here, but this announcement about this religious component to what these people were saying and um, would have kind of been in keeping with these oracles that people were used to hearing from time to time. So uh, it's, it's interesting, again, to, to put ourselves there. When she said the Most High God, you could argue that she was recognizing the God that we think about. But it's, it's certainly plausible that she may have just been, she may have used those words in the past to refer to Zeus or some other God. But in this, the way of salvation again, the way it's translated for us, might also be uh, translated a way of rescue or or something like that. So um, depending on who was hearing this, uh, might have interpreted it differently, right? So the hearers there, uh, the pagan hearers, might have heard very familiar language referring to some other god. Uh, As we look at it through the lens of Christianity, we see Jehovah God, and when we think of salvation, we think you know, what we think of as salvation, but they may not have thought that. So in any event, uh, Paul is, is being somewhat pestered and annoyed by this gal, and we see what happens next. It says, verse 18, and this ship she kept doing for many days. So it says she's followed Paul and us, right? So think about this. What if somebody just who makes your acquaintance and all of a sudden starts following you? and talking about you in a strange voice. Apparently, when people made these pronouncements, they had a weird voice, and the root word for the spirit of Python apparently is the same root that they used back then for ventriloquism. So, again, I chased a few rabbits on this lesson. <laughs> but just think about it. You know, so, you know, picture you got, you got your, your preacher's mindset on, your missionary mindset. You're trying to go out and make a good impression and share the, the gospel. Meanwhile, you got this gal that keeps following you, talking in a weird voice. Maybe she wasn't even moving her lips, which I just, you know, I'm just speculating here, but that, that would be really funny uh, if that was true. And, and saying things which are true, but might be very confusing for the people that are hearing it, and certainly would have been a spectacle, and they might, might have been paying more attention to her than they were Paul. And finally, he's just he's had enough of this. And it says, she kept doing this for many days. So the, think about it. Now, Paul has already put up with this for a while. I don't know how many days you would be willing to put up with that. We would probably be calling the police at the end of day one. You know, and I can hear the conversations in this situation. Paul wasn't married, but if he was married, the wife would be saying, if you don't call, 
<laughs> about this. <laughs> anyway, I'll let, you, I'll let you fill in the rest of the story. But these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaimed you the way of salvation, and this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour, and his entourage says, what took you so long? No, they didn't say that. They probably thought it. Verse 19, but when her owners, so think about this. It's not just the girl following. Her owners are following too, apparently. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Now, these missionaries were just trying to mind their own business, right? They were just trying to talk about Jesus, minding their own business, and, you know, Paul had put up with it. He's like, you know, I'm trying to be patient, y'all. Finally, he casts out the demon in Jesus' name, and now, you know, the root of all evil, money gets in the game, and these slave owners are not happy. So they drag them into the marketplace before the rulers, the local magistrates. Verse 20, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. Now, one commentary I read through this kind of broke it down, this little pronouncement that they're going to bring charges against them. And they talked about, okay, this was kind of true. This was partially true. And, it, and it's so many times when we get accused, it's because there's a little truth in what's being said. And it gets torqued a little bit. Anyway, uh, these men are Jews, and they are, which was true for some of them, right? Not all of them, right? Luke wasn't a Jew, I don't think. Silas, I'm not sure was. Anyway, um, these men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Partially true. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So this order to the jailer, um, I don't know if word got out, you know, um, it's hard to keep these people. We've heard rumors about other uh, people in the uh, Christian way who maybe uh, you can't keep these folks in jail. Um, maybe they had heard that, you know. Um, Peter had a, his accounts. Uh, this is uh, the third time when we're hearing a, a jail experience. Um, Luke has uh, filled the, us in on these, of course. And they are beaten. It says, when they had inflicted many blows upon them. Uh, that one sentence, part of a sentence, I mean, you kind of just have to dwell on that. I mean, again, they're minding their own business, doing what they came, and then not only are they arrested, they are severely beaten and put in the most secure part of the prison. And not only that, they're shackled. Verse 25. And about midnight, you guys know this part of the story, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. That's what I usually do when I've been beat up. <laughs> No, that's not. You know, I might talk to God long enough to complain a bit. 
About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. You know, if you were in a prison back in the day, I'm guessing it was not pleasant, to say the least. I'm not sure any prison is pleasant, but maybe that place Martha Stewart was might have been pleasant for a while. But back then, certainly, this would have been horrible conditions. Dark, dank, smelly, all of that. And here's this little bit of light that gets thrown in the midst of it, and they start singing. And whether through curiosity or fascination or just knowing that they're hearing something special, the prisoners are listening to these two guys that are singing. And you could just think about the two of them. There's no instruments. They're just singing, and it is echoing through those stone halls. <coughs> these prisoners have not heard anything like this. I guarantee you. And suddenly, verse 26, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Now this, you got to think about. Now, in the previous accounts where these people, you know, Peter and John and then Peter, um, were released... An angel was involved. Here we have an earthquake. You might say, well, you know, this whole region, we hear about earthquakes all the time in that part of the world, right? And you might think, well, this was just kind of natural phenomenon. No. This was a miraculous earthquake. When was the last time you heard of an earthquake that was just precise enough to open all of the doors not just some of the doors, all the doors, but nothing collapsed. And nobody got hurt from something falling. Talk about a precise little earthquake. And when was the last time you heard of an earthquake? Can you picture this? The ground is shaking, and the ground is shaking in just such a way that everybody's handcuffs fall off, and all the shackles break open, and it's strong enough to do that but it doesn't break your bones. It doesn't give you a concussion. There are people down in Cuba being blasted with sonic waves, you know, and the building wasn't even affected. So here's an earthquake shaking just right. All the doors are open. All the bonds are loose. That was no ordinary earthquake. In fact, I would say this might be more miraculous than just sending an angel. It's all miraculous, of course. Special earthquake. Verse 27, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Uh, I found this um, reference. According to Roman law, if a prisoner escaped, the jailer who had charge of him was compelled to suffer the penalty that was to have been inflicted on the prisoner. This accounts for the despair of the jailer in this case. He preferred death by his own hands to the death by torture, which was probably the fate waiting some of the prisoners whom he thought had escaped. 
He was about to kill himself. Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights. Now, interesting, here's another little thing I had not just thought of till just this minute. Paul's in the intersection of the prison. I doubt the jailer is in there with him. But somehow, in the middle of the night, in the dark, Paul knew that he was about to kill himself. How do he know that? But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. You could argue, how does Paul know they're all there? And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Now, again, we've covered this before. You know, we've talked about uh, household salvations. Uh, This is not a text that says if mom and daddy are Christians, then all the children and acquaintances automatically become Christians. That's not what this is saying. Paul is saying... The offer is for you and your household. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So, you know, this is pretty obvious. You have to twist this verse pretty um, beyond recognition to make it say something else. But uh, verse 32 explains this. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. They all received the gospel. Verse 33, And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. So this he is now talking about the jailer. He took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up to his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. And how many times do you see that the authentic response of a new believer is joy? Joy over, you know, they, they know their sins are forgiven. They know they're right with God. But they want to they wanna make up for what they did wrong. This, he, he takes them up. He washes their wounds. Tries to make amends for what he and his system have inflicted. Brought them up and gave them, set food before them. He's trying to, to just help these people that before he was in charge of punishing. Verse 35. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. But the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, what? They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison 
and now they want to throw us out secretly? No. Let them come out themselves and take us out. <laughs> the police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came out and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged the men departed. Um, there were certain rights and privileges associated with being a Roman citizen. And we're going we're gonna to see this theme, right? We, we know the story. You get into town. You find the believers. You go encourage them, worship them. As you encounter unbelievers or, or God-fearers who maybe don't know about Christ, you witness to them. Uh, the ministry improves. You're going to get some opposition. And now we see this concept of bucking up against the Roman uh, law and, and his status as a Roman citizen. And we're going to see, that as this road to Rome, you might say, continues, we're going to see some of these themes start to, uh, start to um, uh, be very familiar as we hear this. You might say, well, if Paul was such a Roman citizen, why didn't he say this while he was being arrested? You know, maybe he knew that God had something else in mind. Maybe he was just saving that card to play when it was to his advantage. We don't really understand all the reason, but he's going he's gonna to play that card again later in the book. But then he takes his own sweet time leaving, right? He knows he's got them where they want them, so he's not in a hurry. They ask him to leave the city, so he goes out says hi to Lydia. I guess that's where his, their stuff was. Went and checked in with the brothers, the other people that I guess had begun believer, encouraged them, and then they departed. Paul's not hanging around too long in one place, right? But he is on a mission, and he's, he's, he's got his, he's got his, um, his, his, uh, his focus on what needs to happen and and he he tries to get maximum impact wherever he is and then he moves on and although we've seen occasion where there are miraculous things about no you can't go here no I hear this vision let's go over here uh, but there's also this practical component too you know looks like we've overstayed our welcome we got to move on and Back to what I was saying at the start. You know, here we have a very miraculous story, but it comes in the context of the everyday. And I just, I just can't help but, but think that God's not, you know, going to just have us sit tight and not do anything, and then when the miracle comes then we get in the game. All this stuff happens while we're already while we're already in the game, while we're already doing what we're supposed to do. And I've shared before one of my favorite verses is that Ephesians 2:10 where it says um, we're creating good workmanship for for the we we are his workmanship created for the good works that God has prepared in advance beforehand as we are walking in those as our day-to-day. -day. 
doing the Christian life is messy. There's opposition. There's adversity. But, but that's where God has us. One final thing, and I came across a different perspective. You know, so many times, how many preachers have taken this phrase that the jailer has, what must I do to be saved? And just made the immediate connection at the spiritual level, right? I'm sure there are people who have been saved because of that story. But one commentator said, you know what? He may not have had quite that insight yet. He may have just knew that Paul and Silas were the only ones halfway calm in the midst of this prison. And Paul seemed to know what was going on. And one guy, one commentator said, a reasonable translation of this is for the jailer to come to Paul and say, so how do I get out of this mess? And if you think about the jailer's question from that context, Paul's answer is even more interesting. Believe on the Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, you and your household. The old kid story, the answer is always Jesus, right? This statement is the duct tape of spiritual life. It applies in every situation. How do I get out of this mess? Believe in Jesus. And I think that applies to more than just the salvation question. How do I get out of this mess, Lord? Well, you know, trust me. So this answer that Paul gave the jailer may have been the best answer no matter what his question would have been or no matter how he asked it. And that's something that spoke to me. All right, we better quit. Comments? All right, we're going to pick up with chapter 17 next week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and just for the vivid pictures that Luke has given us and and for the opportunity to put ourselves in those situations and in that jail and to experience even in a fraction of what was going on then and to, to think about how you did all that for that jailer and his household and for the thousands and millions of people that would be encouraged by it later. And we thank you for that and for the grace that you continue to apply to all of our lives. We thank you for Jesus. In his name, amen. Thanks, everybody.